Hello, and welcome to the place where the revolution will not be televised. But it may be podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm John. This is the People's Podcast, and today we'll be talking about episode two of season five of The Walking Dead, entitled Strangers. As usual in this podcast, John and I will talk through what happened in the episode from beginning to end, veering off on whichever tangents take our fancy, and then we'll discuss any especially interesting aspects of the episode in more detail. The episode opens on the shots of them walking through the forest, and interspersed with all those reservoir dog shots, we get these series of uh, conversations. There's the talk between Rick and Tara, welcoming her to the group. There's the conversation between Carol and Tyrese. And Tyrese obviously having trouble facing up to the fact that the two girls died and that they had to kill one of them. Yeah. What's uh, he complaining about? He didn't even have to kill. I don't know. He's obviously got rage issues. And his main rage issue is that he can't connect with rage. <laughs> Michonne kills a walker and Abraham seems to approve, which was sort of a strange scene. I thought Abraham was saying that's why we're going to choose our time. I'm pretty sure he's referring to the, we all need to go to DC together. What he means is that this is a bunch of capable killers, so we need to be careful when we make our pitch. That's what I think he was saying. I think that's pretty much right. Rick and Carol have a conversation, which is good. It was a bit more of a sort of fleshing out of the vibe we got last week. Yes, I mean, it was the formalised, we're getting back together. They got the band back together? Yes, and I thought it was good that it was Rick who asked Carol if they could join her. I think it was a very... symbolic. Yeah, it was a very gracious way to bring them back onto equal footing. Mm. And then Daryl and Carol having that conversation in the dark, she doesn't want to talk about... I I imagine doesn't want to talk about her banishment, and... Or or is it that she doesn't want to talk about what went on with Tyrese and and the girls? Maybe, maybe. I mean, I suppose it could be either. I assumed that their conversations in this episode worked in sort of two parts. So we see the conversation they have then in the dark that gets interrupted, and then that the second conversation we see is basically a continuation, and that second conversation was definitely about her banishment. Yep. So maybe they were talking about the girls, but if they were, they never finished that conversation. Okay. So then there is the shape in the darkness, and that was very creepy... Well, that was obviously either Gareth or one of his people, I think. Yeah. It was a very good illustration of the recurring theme that people are far more dangerous than mm. walkers. They could have taken down a walker, no problem, but the human out there in the darkness is coming back to bite them, literally. Mm. I must say, though, when there was uncertainty about what it might be out in the dark, that was a very black shot. I think if I was on watch duty in total darkness in the woods, I would be absolutely terrified the entire time. Yes. There'd be no chance of me falling asleep. Because you'd have about four foot notice that there was maybe a horde of walkers. Mm. Although I suppose you'd probably hear them coming. They're not really stealth operators. But all the same, being on watch is sort of a nominal title when you can only see about two metres away. Yes. Anyway. Then the credits happen, and uh, we come back, it's the next morning. And I was very pleased that instantly we get shown evidence that Daryl and Rick just are not fooled at all by the fact that the person walked away, and they're absolutely sure there was someone out there. 
Yes. There's the conversation between Rick and Abraham and their discussion about, uh, you know, Abraham's still on the we're heading north plan, aren't we? And Rick's sort of... He says yeah, but he doesn't feel very committed to the whole plan. Mm. He's got a very sort of sure, sure sound to it. Yes. And then Bob is still being annoyingly positive, And he and Sasha are obviously an item now. Yeah, I, the annoyingly positive thing. It's annoying. The way that Sasha is after, you know, he's like, oh, one more, one more kiss. I just, I feel like she's going, <laughs> every time. Yeah. That's she, what it looks like. He must be a pretty good kisser, because the rest of his bullshit is really... Like, I would find it annoying. It did not look that impressive, It didn't look that impressive. It looked very G-rated. Yeah. I would find his optimism annoying now. Yes, but Kate, you are an A-grade cynic. Are you saying if if your boyfriend was like that, you wouldn't find them annoying? Well, I just said that I did find it annoying. The point that I want to make is that I think it's more telling that I find him annoying than that you find him annoying. That's true. I find most people annoying. They find a priest on a rock. (laughs) Who we later find out is called Gabriel. He seems to have caught himself in a pretty stupid situation in terms of uh, being caught by a bunch of walkers. It was a good way to introduce him as being useless. Not experienced at surviving. Oh, no, he certainly was very convincing at being useless for the entire episode. Yes. Yeah. Like, he had no weapons. (laughs) He was almost aggressively terrible at this world. Yeah. But, luckily, they are not, because they turned up and dispatched the various walkers. He upchucks, and they all say hi. I notice they're still deploying the three questions rule. They're good questions. They're good questions. They make a lot of sense in a lot of contexts. Yeah. I mean, you can see the incredulity on Rick's face when Gabriel replies that, that he hasn't killed any walkers, and he hasn't killed any people. And they're all like, what now? Which makes question number three make a lot of sense. Why? Mm. I loved all of the interactions between Rick's group and Gabriel. The various looks of disbelief. Yes. And distrust. Yes. And just, and just total shock. Well, I liked, I, I particularly liked when Rick asked him why, and then he said well, violence is abhorrent to the Lord or something. And everyone in the group was like, you serious, bro? Yeah. <laughs> For real, though. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, think about everything they've been through. Yeah. To seriously be faced with someone saying, saying violence is a sin. And just being like, two days ago, someone tried to eat me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You yes. know? Like, that's the world I live in. Someone tried to eat me, and you're telling me I'm not allowed to use violence. You can fuck off. It's a little bit like there's some, there's some kind of, you know, reserve entirely occupied by vicious carnivorous animals, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, finding a baby goat, and yes. being like, how are you here? Yes. This place is occupied entirely by bears and tigers and lions and crocodiles. How are you even alive? Yes. They believe him enough to go back to his church with him. What did you think of the church or any of the things that they uncovered? Because they spent a lot of time showing us them seeing the church. Well, the significant things, of course, are Carl's discoveries about the church. Yes, although they're there later on. We see that he has been taking notes on the Bible. I heard he was just copying it out. When Carol was looking at it, she flipped to the beginning. But it said, in the beginning was the word. I'm pretty sure it was just copies of the Bible. Well, I was going to say that notes were a bad sign, but I think copying it out's a pretty bad sign as well. 
Well, we've already established that this is a person who is not adjusted to living in this world. That's true. And perhaps in his years of solitude, he's perhaps thought there probably aren't many Bibles left in the world. Maybe that's my purpose in this world now, is to make more Bibles by copying it he's out. Turned he's turned his office into a scriptorium. Mm. Okay. I could see him thinking that. He looks like a bit of an idiot. Yeah. They did a fairly good line, I think, of walking the line between... He's just someone who's not equipped for this world and has not adjusted. But with it, there was always enough of an element that it could be something creepy. Mm. If you're handwriting a Bible on TV, that's not a good sign. Yeah. And there's the scratches on the back of the church that we get to later on in the episode. And there's just... I, I felt like there was always enough guilt on the actor's face and enough signs around the place that, you know, there's, he, he is walking a really fine line between just being useless mm. and having something really dark have happened to him. I don't know if I get the same feeling. I, I get the feeling that he's useless, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about dark. I think that what happened was when the world was going to shit... I think he locked the doors and cowered and listened to all the people he knows die outside. I that's think that's pretty dark. I, well, yeah, but it's not quite the same as, say, actively killing people. When I think really dark, I think being an agent of evil, that's dark. So Letting evil happen, which to him, he's a priest, he's not supposed to do that. And I expect that would torment him, you know, if he let it happen. And I think that's what happened. I think he let some terrible, terrible things happen. I don't think he necessarily actually partook in them. Okay, yeah, I could buy that. Do we trust Gabriel at this point? No, of course not. Rule one, don't trust anybody. He's already shown himself to be manifestly lacking in judgement. I mean, as we found out in a later scene, when he was lunging to get away, you know, instead of just... Oh, I know. I'll, I'll, instead of instead of staying with the group of incredibly experienced, well-armed people who know how to deal with walkers, I'll strike out on my own with my no experience. <laughs> yes, yes. It is amazing to me that he's still alive. We also see the little conversation where Michonne and Abraham are at odds, basically, about whether the group should be resting up or whether they should be heading off north as soon as humanly possible. Yeah. The first time we've actually seen the group reformed for quite a while and everyone just saying one after the other, whatever Rick decides is what's happening. That's the first time we've seen that in a long while. It is. I think it's a mode of operating that everyone is comfortable with and slips into very easily. Yeah. It's something that they understand and are familiar with. Yes. I, so I think for most of them, it was like riding a bicycle. It's like, okay, the dictatorship's back. Yeah. It's interesting that the last time they were in this mode was when they were on the run. Yeah. Last time after the farm was taken. The dictatorship set up really seems to come to the fore when they are in the most peril. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Now that they've, you know, agreed to go to DC, it'll be interesting to see how the dictatorship continues to function. In a situation particularly where Abraham might now think that he's got some measure of control, clearly he's someone who was used to being in charge. He was in charge of his group before they met up with, met up with any of the main cast. I mean, I think he recognises that Rick is the leader of this combined group. But when they accepted his suggestion that they were going to head to DC, I wonder if he sees that as also an acceptance of a certain amount of leadership on his part as well. Maybe. And that would certainly be a way to create conflict between the two characters. Mm. 
But so far, he's been depicted as someone who's got a pretty good assessment of the people around him. He really did pick his moment when he did his big sales pitch. I feel like he is smart enough to realise that even if he's been given a certain amount of status within the group, Mm. Rick is still well and truly in charge. Yes. So, we come back in and it's Rick and Carl having their chat in the church. Yeah, and Rick is trying to impress upon Carl that he is never safe, even when surrounded by people that he trusts and in a place that is locked and barred. He is never safe. Yeah, and it just shows the difference between what constitutes good parenting now and and what would constitute good parenting in this circumstance. Because... Obviously, now, that would be a really traumatic and stupid thing to say to your child. But when Rick said it, I just felt like, you should have this on t-shirts. Carl should have to say it to himself before he goes to sleep every night. Like, oh, Ari I don't know. I don't know. I'm never safe. I'm never safe. I still feel like that's a recipe for a very not well-adjusted person, even in that world. I disagree. I think he will be perfectly adjusted. I think there's, there's knowing that you're never safe, and then there's... There's obsessing, obsessing over, over it. Like, yeah. that's not healthy, even no, in that world. No, you're right, you're right, you're right. And it was interesting that Carl came straight back with not an alternative point of view, but with saying, if we can't use our strength to do more than survive, hmm. if we can't use our strength to help other people as well, then what are we doing with it? Yeah. It was sort of the overture to what happened later from Abraham. Yeah. Acceptable levels of optimism from Carl. Well, what was it that Carl actually said in the beginning? Not everybody can be bad. That's right. Which, to be honest, I found to be not a great reason for trusting him. Just sort of going, well, eventually the law of averages says that I will eventually hit upon someone who's not bad. Like, that's not a good reason. I think it was a way of illustrating that they're coming from two different default settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl is trusting everyone until he sees a reason not to. Yeah. And Rick is not trusting anyone until he sees a reason to do so. So it was quite a it's quite a good little conversation. Bob's optimism again. When was this point? This is as they're heading off to go to the food bank. Oh yeah. And he's walking alongside Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like what they were doing in this episode. I mean, those two didn't have a great deal to do last episode because I mean, no one really actually had much to do except escape and be Carol. No, no, Bob tried to convince them they were going to find a cure, remember? Yeah, but that was really the only (laughs) thing he did all episode. And I feel like that was because none of the other three people who were taken into that room... Could believably have made such a ridiculous pitch. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, you're right. Someone should should tell Sasha. Turn her right off him. Well, I feel like what they're doing... Because there was that very sweet episode between the two of them last year. And if Bob has just been taken, and if Bob's heading towards Deadville, and we're still assuming he was bitten, then they had to really quickly, with very few scenes available, establish that these two were a happy couple. Yeah, I think there was a bit of overkill there. I guess so. But if they hadn't had sort of a few instances of the two of them being annoyingly sweet... I reckon once would have done it. I feel like Sasha was, you know... (laughs) Fair enough. That's how I felt about it. I just thought it was unnecessary. Like, the last episode, I said, this show does not have a lot of tenderness in it. And when it does it, it does it well. Sometimes. This this is the time when it did not do it well. Okay. This was not tenderness done well. This was annoying. Okay. Well, it's interesting. I found Bob's optimism annoying. But I didn't find the scenes of them together annoying in and of themselves. Mm. I reckon one of the one of the scenes would have done. You would have been done. 
Yeah. Well, we'll never know. While the group is heading off to the food bank, we cut over to Carol and Daryl, who are off to get lots of water. Yep, then they find a car. Yes, a, a probably usable car. Meanwhile, they're having a little conversation, mm. and they're sort of back to the conversation she was refusing to have the night before. What did you think of Daryl's pitch that she was welcomed back to the group and that she shouldn't feel bad about what happened? It's not unusual that Daryl would say that. Yeah. I mean, he wants her back, and he's glad he's going to try and keep her. Yeah. It's entirely expect expectable. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't to know. be expected. Yes, it's entirely to be expected that Daryl would say that in order to keep Carol around, because, yes, you know, yeah. they have a special relationship. They have a beautiful relationship. Yes, they do. They're both enormously badass at everything they do. Do you think that your annoyance about how much we saw of Bob and Sasha is just that we could have seen more of Carol? <laughs> well, I'm annoyed that every scene that doesn't have Carol in it doesn't have Carol in it. <laughs> Preferably Carol and Daryl should be in every scene. You know, they don't even have to talk. They just need to be in the background. Sil- silently passing judgment on all the fools who make decisions <laughs> that aren't kill everyone. Okay, so then we have Glenn and Maggie and Tara. They're off scavenging. And there were a couple of times this episode where Tara was giving Glenn and Maggie odd looks. Right. I think probably just in a I wish I still had someone kind of way. There probably is a bit of that, but I thought it had more to do with the fact that Glenn would have told Tara, you know when you attacked the prison, you killed my girlfriend's father. I mean, the governor did it, but you guys collectively are responsible for his death. He was a really great guy. He was a super useful, you know, veterinarian with training, and you killed him. I have issues. That's probably what Glenn would have said. Yeah, actually, um, I think your your interpretation makes a lot more sense than mine. So I reckon Tara was looking at them, feeling awkward. Feeling yes. like, yeah. oh, there is the daughter of Herschel who was dead because of me. Yeah, yeah, and Glenn's sort of throwaway line about there's nothing in this world that's not hidden. It's a nice little echoing of her emotions in what he says. Yeah, well, I mean, later on, when Tara tells Maggie about who she is and everything, mm. she says, I don't want anything to be hidden. So she takes those words to heart. Yeah. I think it's just that I don't like Tara. So I'm just paying attention. <laughs> why, why, why don't you like Tara? Oh, it, it's the fist bumping mostly. <laughs> I really hoped the fist bump was gone, and there it was. If they're going to do it all season, me and her are going to have issues. I'm not on board. I can see that. <laughs> I'm not she should be killed as a result. <laughs> she should just stop fist bumping. <laughs> well, maybe if you're very lucky, Gareth and his friends will eat her hands. And there shall be no fist bumping. Instead, great. there could be stump bumping. See, stump bumping, I'd be on the okay. I with. thought you'd be okay with that because you're a sick woman. We now have the scene in the food bank, and all the walkers are down in a very slimy yes. basement. Yes, they're a bit different from the usual walkers because most of the walkers by now are quite dried out. Yes. Whereas these ones in the basement are moist, <laughs> well lubricated by the rain. Ugh. Keeping yes. the skin nice and sloppy. Yes, Avon would approve. <laughs> yes. Well, you saw some of them, and some of them had the skin, like, hanging off their faces. Oh, it yeah. So it was so sloppy. And, again, kudos to the makeup department. Every single episode, they outdo themselves. Mm-hmm. They jump into the basement. Mm-hmm. I literally heard my grandmother's voice saying, if you can't see under the water, don't jump into the water. Yeah, I sort of thought that as well. 
I was like, what are the chances that there is a zombie whose legs have just rotted away that's just under the water, waiting for something to bump into it to bite? Yeah, or, you know, in a really straightforward way, for the same reason my grandma used to say it, you just can't see what obstacles are under the water. Yeah. What if you land and someone catches their leg or breaks their leg? It seemed like a foolhardy plan, but it was pretty exciting to watch, so I I gave them sort of leeway just because it looked really cool. Yes. I wondered whether there was a way for them to kill the zombies without actually having to go down into the basement. Couldn't they have tied one of their machetes on the end of a broom, for example, and just stabbed them all in the skull from up on the ground floor? Yeah. I mean, it would have taken longer, but the one thing these people have is time. Yeah, you None, know. none of them have got a Pilates class to get to. Well, exactly. Because, I mean, they have to go down to the basement eventually because that's what all the food is. But, you know, it would have been quite easy, for example, to have found some chairs, dropped them down into the water so that they didn't actually have to stand in the water. Because presumably all of the foodstuffs under the water are going to be spoiled anyway. Yeah. So, there could have been more thought. But on the other hand, as you say, it made for a good scene. It looked pretty cool. Yes. It gave us a chance to see that Gabriel is rubbish again. (laughs) When he saw the zombie with glasses on, who we later see when he's in the church in the evening, we saw him holding a photograph of himself and a woman, a blonde woman with glasses. He's got like his arm around her or something and they're next to the church organ. So clearly he cared about her. Whether he was involved with her or something, we don't know. They've obviously made a decision that this group, now that they've been through so much and survived so much, just doesn't have enough dead weight in it. So here's Gabriel. (laughs) Every single one of his choices was bad. Yeah. He didn't call out for help. He didn't have any capacity to save himself from the look of things. And I get that that's a sort of pacifist approach. But what he did was make a pacifist decision for himself that endangered all of them. Yeah. Even a few seconds thought surely would have revealed that to be a stupid thing to do. He was with a group of people who've been doing this for a long time and he decided to do his own thing. Just, yeah, not clever. Yeah. You know who agrees with us? Rick. Because that little (laughs) scene afterwards where he just had no time for that man's apology. Mm. I thought that was pretty good. He zoomed in pretty quickly on what the thing was. You mm. know, Luke was like, you knew her, didn't you? Yeah. The one with the glasses. He knew immediately. And, I mean, he didn't forgive Gabriel exactly, but he did sort of indicate that he understood. Yeah, he remembered what it was like when he was first starting to deal with this world. Yeah. And the sort of emotional reactions he had at first, you know. I mean, remember, remember how he reacted when he found Bicycle Girl? Yeah. Or even, you know, him watching Carl have to shoot mm. Zombie Shane. Mm. Actually, I think that's what it is. You've hit, you've hit the nail on the head. And it even perfectly describes his group's reactions to this guy earlier mm. on in the episode. Mm. It's like when you see an AFL player, an elite sportsman, meet a fan who plays the sport as an amateur. Yeah. And they're not cruel about that, and they're not, they're not rude about it. Mm. But they just, they look at this person and say, you do not play this on the same level that I do. You're not playing in the same league as me. No. Rick looking at this guy and going, it's not even worth telling you off. Mm. You just are not playing this particular game to the same level that I am. He's barely even playing the game. Yes, that's true. What's happened is that he's had his first ever game. His first ever encounter. His first ever encounter. And he's he's still at the stage where he's wondering whether he has to play. Yeah. You know, where everyone else came to grips with the fact that they had to play and they had to be experts years ago. Yes. So, yes, it's embryonic stages for Gabriel coming to grips with this world. Goodness me, he just needs to get his shit together. 
So they get back to the church, and while all this has been happening, Carl has been conducting CSI Walking Dead. <laughs> you know what? That boy, he just cannot stay in a house. <laughs> no. Carl's looking significantly older this season, again. He is, he is. I mean, time, time marches on. Yes, I was going to say, but I mean, he is significantly older, again. Last episode, I floated the idea that they might jump the shows forward as a way to turn Judith into an actual character. Yeah. I think one of the supporting reasons for them to do that mm. would be that it might actually catch Carl up to his real age. <laughs> yes. How is he meant to be now? Somewhere in the range of 13 to 15. He could make 15. He's still just getting away with it. But when you look at how young he was in the first season... Yeah. I mean, the lucky thing is that as we go, our brains just rewrite what he looks like every season. Yes. But when you do see those pictures from the first season, it's yes. ridiculous that this is a kid two years later. Yes, indeed. So, Carl sees scratches at the window. Yep. Or knife marks at the window, apparently. Knife marks at the window. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was looking at them thinking, yeah, there could be knife marks. Some of them could easily be fingernails. That's true. Scratching at the window. Yep. Which... Particularly if they were, you know, zombies don't care about how their manicure gets well, marked That's right. And then, around the back of the church, the words, you will burn in hell for this. So, there's something being referred to there. I think it's referring to a terrible act of cowardice on Gabriel's part when the world was turning to shit. I think he just refused to help people. Maybe. Um, but if there's a group of people outside who have been locked out of the church but want sanctuary from the mm. from walkers, who has time to scratch a little epithet on the side of the church? Yeah. I mean, either That's they're true. out there for a while, in which case, it's not Fort Knox. Why couldn't they break in, really? I mm. mean, it's just him in there and a whole lot of wooden shutters. Mm. The thing was not built for defence, really. <laughs> no. If they had time to do that, why couldn't they break in? It's true. I think what might have happened is that those are remnants of something that happened before, before the, the wars. Yeah. Or at least that the you'll burn in hell is. Yeah. You think, you think that Gabriel actually did something... Yeah, it seems to me that the characters on this show have two sorts of secrets. One is the sort of secret about what they've had to do since everything went to shit, which is far and away the most common sort of secret. But there is this second one, and it's the same sort of one that Bob had, and the same sort of one that Carol carried around for a while, and Daryl carried around for a while, which is that they actually didn't really like who they were before all this happened. Mm. And that the coming of the walkers mm. has actually allowed them to do a bit of a reset. Yes. And in some ways, those are the more interesting secrets. Yes. So we all agree that Gabriel's got some sort of secret. But, I mean, Rick basically summed it up. If it's something that's going to kill the group... Then I will kill you. Then I will kill you. But if it's just your own problems, I'm not a therapist and I don't have time for this. <laughs> I like Rick more and more. Oh, yes. We cut to the evening and we have Abraham's toast and sales pitch. I thought it was pretty effective. Yes, yes. Well, the picture he painted, which was, there is this pattern to your lives of get up, kill walkers, find food, go to sleep. That is life. And it could be like that forever, or we could add some purpose by doing this thing. And maybe it will save the world. I also thought he was very persuasive in that, I mean, effectively what he said was, there may be a way to save this. And your group is probably one of the few that could actually make it happen. Did he say that? Yeah. A lot of what he was driving at was, you know, not any old group could do this, but you guys could. I didn't really get that from the speech. Oh, really? I felt really strongly that he was saying that not only was there hope, but also there was a certain amount of responsibility as a result of the capabilities that they have. Mm, okay. I'll have to listen to it again. I can't say that that came through for me. Oh, but... Okay. 
Abraham should not, however, enlist Eugene to help him convince people. Because as soon as Eugene starts saying anything, I assume it's full of shit. <laughs> yes, but that's because you've decided that he's just wrong or he's lying. The others haven't necessarily made that decision. That's true, that's true. But the shelters in Washington, I just, I don't buy it. I don't buy that Washington is surviving this. I don't think it's totally implausible because the amount number of bunkers that the United States military has with years and years of food and water stored, there's quite a lot of them. And there are plans in place to secure, you know, the president and the top brass and those sorts of people for just these kinds of situations. It might be that the people who still who's still around in Washington, might be the very, very top brass and therefore perhaps not that useful. Yeah, it's only a few boffins that survive. That's right. No, no, no boffins. Just the useless people who give orders. They're the only ones who survive. So that I think it, I think it's plausible. I guess. If there's stuff. a bunker in Washington, it must be really well hidden and quite underground and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know how... The, they are. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how the bunch of them turning up on the surface is going to get any help. And I feel like walking into a city is a bad choice. Well, we've only seen one city. Yeah. And it was a terrible choice. It was a terrible choice. Um, you know, the fact that they managed to get out of it so soon after the event. Mm. You know, when it probably had the most number of walkers in it. I, I expect as time goes on, the cities actually become safer. Because the walkers would, the ones that are on the streets anyway, would gradually wander into the countryside. You know, there'd still be tons trapped in buildings and stuff. Do you reckon? Do you reckon that over time they basically end up equally spaced? Yeah, all over the country. Well, equally spaced, taking into account the fact that walkers will herd together because that's what they do. They mill around. Yeah. So eventually, the ones that are outside are going to just through random motions eventually be equidistant from each other. Larger concentrations will thin out, etc. Yep. But as I said, you know, there's still going to be plenty in buildings and things. So cities are going to be super dangerous still. Yes. But I think they will become a bit safer. That makes sense. The longer they're left. So, despite the fact that Abraham's toast was fairly convincing, we both also commented that we thought it had worked much more easily than expected. Yes, we did. I suppose because in the past, there's always been a lot of debate about what they're going to do next. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, remember the debate about what to do with the prisoner they'd caught on the farm. Mm. You know, the lengthy scenes in the lounge room and what to do And what to do with Woodbury. What to do about Woodbury, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was probably why both of us were a little bit surprised at how easily everyone agreed. Although, you know, (laughs) Rick did set the ball rolling by saying that he was on board and they'd previously established in the episode that whatever Rick does, everyone else was going to be okay with. So that follows. I mean, it's it's not like it was implausibly fast. No, no, I, I just meant getting Rick to agree. The rest of them saying yes was just a formality as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I was surprised at how well the speech worked on Rick. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm not interested in watching them have four episodes of agonising about what no. they're going to do next. No, no, we want action. Now that Rick has that sort of, well, close to absolute decision-making power, it's actually leading to him being more open to being approached. We see him have that little conversation with Bob and we see him have little conversations with Carl... You get the impression that people can go and appeal to him fairly easily. Yeah. He's open to talking to everyone about what should happen Mm. because he knows he gets to make the final decision. Oh, yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. Also in this scene is the little shot of Bob being way too intense with Sasha. The, oh, we think he's bitten 
the oh we think he's bitten moment yeah. where even for a guy who is this clingy and this optimistic <laughs> is too intense and yes. needs one too many kisses and has the falling face afterwards. Yeah. I think you're right. I think he's bitten. And we also have the conversation with Tara and Maggie, where Tara basically fesses up that she was at the prison. Yeah, which I thought Maggie dealt with quite well. It made me suspect that perhaps Glenn had already spoken to her about it. To put it this way, she hugs the part murderer of her father very quickly. I mean, on the other hand, it wasn't implausible. It wasn't like I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, Maggie would never forgive someone that quickly. She probably knows that Tara saved Glenn's life. Mm. You know, Glenn would have told her the story about what had happened. Yeah. They all seem to have this story in their head, <coughs> which is not, not totally inaccurate, that the governor was someone who was able to manipulate convince... Manipulate people. Yeah, manipulate good people into doing mm. bad things. Yeah. So yeah. that helps as well, I think. Mm. Graded on a curve, this was a pretty uplifting episode. Yeah. I mean... Apart from the people eating at the end. Well, I was going to say, I, right up until the Maggie moment, I was sitting there going, this is surprisingly cheerful. <laughs> I mean, you know, all things considered, they still had to kill some corpses, but mm. surprisingly cheerful. And then we have the scene where Rick threatens Gabriel, and then the scene where Bob gets taken, and I just thought, oh, no, wait, we're still watching The Walking Dead. <laughs> Everything's still going to go to shit. When, when Bob went outside and starts to lose it by the tree, mm. were you thinking what I was thinking? I mean, I was thinking, oh, he's definitely bitten. Like, why else would he be crying? Unless he had been bitten under the water during that struggle or something, or maybe had been grazed by the zombie's teeth. I'm sure he's been bitten. Yes. 100%. But of course, now there's the possibility that Gareth and his friends have inadvertently saved him by chopping off the leg that was bitten. I got the impression that the chopping off had to happen pretty quickly. I think what's far more likely is that they're going to try and threaten Bob, and I think that there's quite an interesting conversation to be had where he laughs at them and says, You've infected eaten meat. infected meat. You fucking idiots. Maybe. You should have checked the corpse, buddies. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Of course, the other thing is that, you know, if they cut his leg off, I mean, they would have been looking at it while they cooked it. They would have noticed a really obvious bite. But if he was bitten on his torso or somewhere else or whatever, then... That's true. I mean, they hadn't removed his clothes. Had they? No. Still sitting there in his gross t-shirt. Well, everybody's clothes are gross. Before we get to Bob going outside, we Mm. have the conversation with Rick and Gabriel, which basically distilled their positions. Although Gabriel's been fairly silent. We really don't know very much about him at all. Well, yes, because he doesn't confess his sins to bear. Yeah, but Which I think is just bullshit. I think he's just ashamed. Terribly ashamed yes. of whatever it is he's done. And he doesn't want to tell people. And so he has this bullshit line about, oh, I confess my sins to God, not to people. Isn't that terribly convenient that you don't have to tell any of the people who might actually have a reaction which would affect you in some way? Very convenient. You've just distilled how Christianity works. (laughs) With or without zombies. It's true. But he's also really silent on a whole lot of normal stuff. What do you mean? Well, he just, even in that opening scene, he was very cagey. If he is all he presents himself to be, even with some sort of big past guilt, he was much cagier than he needed to be. That's true. Now, maybe he's just nervous about other humans, because he did say that whole, you know, other humans can get quite dangerous these days. But how does he know that if he's been hiding out in a church for two years? It's true. I'm still very suspect on the man. And I think there's more than just some big guilt in his history. Okay. I also think he might have a drinking problem, because he was slugging at that bottle. (laughs) Yes. When they were all sitting around with their glasses of wine, I did think to myself, really? Two years into the zombie apocalypse, you're having wine? You would be such a bunch of lightweights. 
maybe Bob just got into the gin and needed to go outside for a cry as a natural result. <laughs> it is what gin does to people. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what gin it's does. It's the weepy drink. Um, what is Carol doing fixing the car? I she was about to leave. That's you what it looked like to me. She didn't have much with her if she was about to leave. <sighs> maybe she was just trying to get away from the group for a few minutes. But I just feel like. Why else would you be out there in the pitch black? Maybe she was trying to leave. I hadn't even considered that. I thought she was getting the car ready, you know. Well, in the same way that she went to clear the water channel back at the prison. At night? Yeah, that's what... Like, at night, pitch black. Yeah. What the hell was she doing? That's what made me think. I think there was part of her that wanted to leave. When Daryl turns up, though, and says, what are you doing? She says, I don't know. Which is what you would say if you were... In uh, two minds. In two minds about something, you know, to go, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I I think maybe she was actually in half a mind to leave the group. That makes a lot more sense than just she was out there deciding this was the optimum time to repair the car. Yeah. Do you think she just doesn't want to go to Washington? She heard the decision, she's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. No, I think it's more likely that she's just not sure how to be in the group anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how long had elapsed in the last season, but Carol had clearly been on her own for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, it took Michonne a long time to adjust to being in a group. And, I mean, Michonne didn't even have the added barrier of having had a history with the group that ended badly. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. So, in the middle of them fixing the car, or whatever it is they're doing, Mm. we see the station wagon hearse thing with the cross go flying past Mm. with its lights on. Yeah. And they undertake a good old-fashioned car chase. They do. So, Daryl smashes the brake lights in order to follow undetected. I think so. Because you can turn the front lights on and off. Yeah. So, as long as they remember not to indicate, they'll be fine. (laughs) Yes. But the brake lights, you can't... You can't turn them on. You can't They just come on. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I did wonder, with Bob captured and with Carol and Daryl chasing after Beth, in the preview for the next episode, there was the, you know, we're three people down. Part of me wondered, I wonder if that's the three. I think it is. It probably, well, yeah, I think it probably is two. But it's possible that Carol and Daryl come back and two other people go missing. Maybe. That is three, though. Maybe. Carol and Daryl have taken off without telling anyone. The show works at its best when they have discrete groups. When they're all in one room, what you end up with is the big argument in the lounge room back at the farm. (laughs) And these, you know, constant small conversations of not particularly significant stuff. Mm. But when you split them up into groups, like you had for the second half of last season, having those characters interact in that way, I think that's when the show works best anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a clever way to, you know, why on earth would Carol and Daryl split up? Well... The fact that they couldn't follow the car unless they went right away is a pretty good reason. Mm. And it gives us a couple of episodes of them sorting out Carol's problems and... Yes, you know. I suppose so. If I was Beth, the rescue team that I would want would be Carol and Daryl. Absolutely. <laughs> if I knew that Carol and Daryl were coming for me, the next time my captor came to talk to me or do whatever it is that they're doing with me, there'd be a little bit of me that would want to be like, <laughs> you're going to be dead soon. <laughs> Carol's coming for you. Whereas if Tyrese and Gabriel were your rescue team, oh, 
Might as well send Judith. So then all of the the hope of the episode is sucked away. Is sucked away. Because we see that Bob isn't happy. He's actually really cut up about something. Yes. Probably being bitten. Probably being bitten. That would put a dampener on your day. (laughs) And he goes outside to have a little cry. Did you notice he had his gun tucked into his waistband? No, but that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's going out into the pitch black. I thought maybe he was going out to kill himself. I thought he was maybe going out to kill himself as well. In which case, I was thinking, well, this is not a good thing to do. Yes, killing yourself is inevitable in that situation. That is going to happen. But honestly, couldn't you have just told the group and got one of them to do it for you? Even just the fact, that's the thing. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was just going out to have a little cry to get himself together before he told them. Maybe. We don't know. As I was sitting there watching and wondering if he was going to kill himself, I thought two things. One, it's not classy to not talk to people first. No. And two, (laughs) don't fire a gun, dickhead. Yeah. So, my sympathy meter may have been a little askew. (laughs) Well, we we don't know anyway. Because then he was cracked on the head. Yep. And did you notice that after he collapsed, there was some kind of scratch in the tree? Yes, well, I thought what we were being shown, because there was, there'd been the particular talk about these scratches on the windowsill, uh, knife scratches, mm. and the scratching on the wall was something that you could do with a knife, and I thought what we were being shown was that whoever this is sneaking around in the dark mm. knows something of what happened at the church. Right. Okay. And maybe it's the same person who scratched on the church. Right. But then with it being Gareth, I don't know about that. Maybe it was only meant to give us a few seconds pause before they said, nope, actually it's this guy. Maybe. They didn't just show us. Like, they zoomed in on it. Oh, they the definitely focused on it. At the end of the, the, end of the scene. It. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's no indication yet what it is or what it means. Mm. Gareth is still batshit crazy. Yeah. Well, you didn't think losing his home was going to drive him insane. No. <laughs> so, oh my god. The place where I used to eat people has gone up in smoke. This is clearly a sign. I need to act more normal. Yes. <laughs> That's not a thing that was going to happen. No, no. And given that their whole philosophy is built on a not particularly well-balanced reaction, but nonetheless a reaction to having been attacked, yeah, you're right. It wasn't going to drive him sane. <laughs> Congratulations, though, on your call of last week that Gareth was going to be the new antagonist. Ah, excellent. Pays to watch the Comic-Con trailer. <laughs> When you think about the comparison between the woman who fought Carol last episode and Gareth's little quiet explanation by the fireside. Or his great speech about, oh, we don't want to kill you, we have to kill you. His was far less sympathetic. I mean, to the extent that either of them was. She gave the impression of someone who had been convinced Mm. and he gave the impression of the person who'd come up with the convincing line. Absolutely. No, no, I am totally behind that dynamic. Yep. Yeah, he is the leader of this yep. particular cult. Lunatic. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be in charge of all these people and tell them to kill others and then feed those people to my people. I don't want to. I've just got, just got to. to. Oh, it's really sad, isn't it? Anyway, mm. would you like some of your leg? Oh, Jesus Christ, that freaks me out. I like the line, devolved into hunters. Yes, he's trying to make what they're doing seem like a natural process. He's trying to go, look, we're just doing what comes naturally in this circumstance. Yes. Which is manifestly not true. Yes. Because, you know, Exhibit A is the main character group. Yeah. Who have never resorted to eating people. 
it was interesting that this was happening opposite Bob, mm. who earlier that episode had been... So optimistic. Well, not just so optimistic, but he's the one who has the conversation with Rick where he says, you've got to be careful what you give away in this world, what it is you let slip away mm. of who you used to be. You've got to be careful. Now, he's got this ludicrous idea that you've got to be careful about that because eventually the world's going to right itself. And <laughs> you don't want to be someone who can't handle that either, who can't mm. handle return to the old ethics. Mm. But he's the one who says you can't let yourself devolve. You can't let yourself drop away all of the things you used to be and used to care about and think were important, Mm -hmm. including kindness and optimism and all that jazz. So for him to be the one who's faced with Gareth's philosophy Mm -hmm. is particularly poignant, I think. Yeah. Although he's probably more focused on the loss of a leg at this stage. Well, he doesn't realise he's lost a leg until quite late in the conversation. Did they pump him full of painkillers? I think they must have in order to do it. Mm. And he came around very groggily. That's true. And he looked groggy for the whole conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got to say, I was right last week. Mm. (laughs) For me, anyway. I know that it didn't affect you, which is still troubling. But seeing them eat meat, knowing for certain that they are cannibals, seeing a leg on the fire as opposed to miscellaneous bits of meat was very disconcerting for me. Fair enough. I find cannibalism anyway to be very, very disturbing. As, as a, a thing. practice. Yeah, like, I can't watch Hannibal because I just find the whole thing far too disturbing. Okay. But I think I think most people would have found that very disturbing. Like, yeah. oh, mm, 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 your leg tastes really good. Mm, 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 mm. Watch, oh, was... watch me eat the leg that used to be on your body, which I have now cooked. Yeah. I understand oh. the premise of the scene. It was a brilliant reveal. It was excellently done. It was very shocking that that's what was happening. Yeah, it was just, it was a brilliant reveal. Mm-hmm. All I mean by my, it'd be too strong to say defense of cannibalism, but <laughs> if you can disassociate the murder or harm of others from it, <laughs> I don't actually find the idea of eating human flesh itself hugely morally problematic. Are you sure you want to leave this in the podcast? I don't want to leave this in the podcast. <laughs> Only because I think it's not relevant to the episode. Oh, no, I don't think we should put this in the podcast. I don't want people thinking you're the sort of person who doesn't find eating human flesh morally problematic. I don't. <sighs> if you have to, and you almost always would have to, if you have to kill someone to do it, or if you have to hurt someone to do it, then it's morally problematic. Well, it's biologically problematic as well. Mad cow disease came about as a result of feeding a species its own species. Yeah. It is biologically problematic to eat your own kind. Okay. It can result in the creation of prions. Prions are a special kind of protein which modify other proteins to be like it. Okay. And it's what causes mad cow disease. And it was caused by feeding cow to cows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, these people probably don't realise that by eating people, they're probably... Making themselves crazy. They're probably going to eventually make themselves very sick indeed. Right. They talk about it being natural, but it's actually not a sustainable thing to do. No, no, no. You can't eat people for a long period of time. And it certainly can't develop into this is the way of the human race. Certainly not. That can't happen. Even if you took into account all the depopulating effects of it... Biologically, it can't happen, because eventually they will end up with mad human disease. Yes. Which they already have, clearly. Okay, so, that's the end of the episode. Well... No Beth. No Beth. 
I mean, we didn't actually see a preview of her in the previews that we saw at the end of the last episode. That's true. So I probably should have known better than to guess that we were going to see Beth in this episode. Yep. And we didn't see her again in the previews for the next episode. Well, they might do what they did last season, which is that not everyone's in every episode. So maybe we don't catch up with Carol and Daryl for a whole episode mm. and find out what they're doing. But maybe. whenever they get where they're going, it's likely that they'll see Beth. Even if they don't see her, I feel like they'll hang around long enough to find her. Yeah, and, you know, Carol can MacGyver her way into the place again. And that's right, fun. that's right. She'll make some kind of explosive out of some mud and a bit of string. Mud and string <laughs> will become dynamite. <laughs> Something like that. With the magic of Carol. It'll be called Carol Might. Carol Might. <laughs> Do you know what it does? It blows shit up and cures colds at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Thanks. If Carol had a weapon, she could call it the Doctor. <laughs> Doctor Makewell. Nasty cannibalistic society you've got there. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Uh, Alright, so a few key questions. Do you think there's any link between the fact that Gabriel is a priest and the car that made off with Beth has a cross on the back? I mean, I know it's America, so Christians are a dime a dozen, but... I think it's a bit too obvious a connection to be accidental. So, yes, I do. I feel if I was a writer of the episode, and I stuck a priest and a car with a cross in the same episode, and had no intention of having anything to do with each other... I think I'd probably remove one of them, make one of them not a priest. Yeah. Or you'd take the cross off the car. Do you think maybe that the people who have Beth and mm. the car with the cross on it, they couldn't be in some kind of ongoing conflict with Gabriel, could they? Because they would have killed him by now, surely. He's so useless. If Gabriel is strong enough to be one half of a conflict with anyone, <laughs> he has been playing a very foxy game this episode. Hmm. Which is not impossible, you know. Mm. Maybe one of the reasons he was willing to put himself in such a stupid, dangerous situation with the woman with the glasses mm. was that he knew he could get out of it yeah. if they didn't come through. Yeah. What if the night before it was Gabriel in the dark observing the group? What if he manufactured the situation on the, the, situation rock. On the rock and has basically manufactured his entire appearance to the group? And if he is in a kind of ongoing conflict with another group, mm -hmm. then he may be trying to make sure that he is accepted into this group for protection. Maybe. You know, perhaps he's going to try and manipulate them into a conflict with another group. Maybe. In order to protect himself. Yep. I mean, he would have to be exceptionally good at pretending to be useless. But, you know, I mean, there's one thing that we have discovered. It's that the psychos get along quite well in this world. Yeah, yeah. It's not totally implausible that he's survived based on the story he's given, mm. but it's getting to the point of being pretty implausible. Like, yeah. two years yep. in? And he said that he's been to other houses and picked them clean. Yeah. Are we supposed to believe that for two years he's been wandering around and either not encountered a walker or gotten away every time because he doesn't carry a weapon? That's hard to believe. Yeah, it is certainly the last couple of seasons, with all the herds walking around, and the smaller groups, for example, the group that took down Terminus, mm. those are now becoming quite frequent. Are we really meant to believe that he has gotten two years in without, at the very least, having to kill a walker? You know, when we saw the group walking around last season, it wasn't that uncommon for different groups of humans to bump into each other. Mm. So, yeah, the whole thing seems pretty implausible to me. Yeah. 
I like the idea that he lured them on the rock. It was a ridiculous situation for him to be in. He was. Why on earth did he go out into the woods? If his line is, I hide in a church, I, when necessary, go and scavenge from houses nearby, but mostly I hide in a church. So why have I gone off into the woods right near where your group is? And why am I hiding from all these walkers in the only way that's actually quite safe? None of them was going to climb the rock. One of them had a hold of his trouser leg. You know, he wasn't in imminent surrounded danger. Mm. Anyway, I find the whole thing a bit suspect. Yeah, so do I. What was your favourite part of the episode? I think my favourite part of the episode was actually Carl being all CSI apocalypse. I think that was cool. Yeah? Mm. There's not a lot more to add to that, really. He found scratches. They are interesting. They indicate that Gabriel is not telling the truth. Yep. It was a pretty good information dump. Yes. What about you? What was your favourite moment of the episode? My favourite moment, straight up, was Glenn tripping over the pile of boxes and a mop. That was quite funny. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. The show doesn't have heaps of humour. Mm. But my favourite thing about the episode was how far on they've come in terms of being able to write well-crafted episodes compared to a season or two ago. I feel like it's really becoming what we all hoped it would be, this yep. show. Mm-hmm. It's not high art, but it's now starting to be better written, better directed. Mm-hmm. And better structured as whole seasons go. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I liked about this episode was most of the episode was just this series of conversations about where different characters sit next to each other. Yeah. Last episode was very functional. There's the plan. We need to escape. Everything drives towards the escape. There were a couple of very heartfelt moments at the end. By and large, it wasn't based around characters. It was more based around the action of the thing. Mm-hmm. And this episode was completely different. It was all about the characters, having to work out where they stood with each other now. After the collapse of the prison, after all of the drama that came before that, after taking on these new people into the group, some of whom have never met each other before. Mm -hmm. That was what the bulk of this episode was, but they managed to sprinkle it through a whole series of actions and changes, and there was always direction and there was movement. And I feel like a couple of years ago, they would have found somewhere safe like the church and Mm -hmm. then all sat down and had about 40 minutes worth of conversations. Yeah. Whereas... Like they did at the farm. Like they did at the farm. And to be honest, like they did sometimes at the prison. At the prison. They were living there, though. The prison was a settled place. That was the point. Yeah. Living in the prison was so they could sit down for 40 minutes. This isn't a documentary. The reason (laughs) they were living at the prison is that they were written as living at the prison. Yeah. The writers then had set up a situation and not found enough imaginative ways to give them stuff to do. What really excited me about this episode was that they managed to... I mean, even that first set of conversations between when the episode started and when the credits ran, there was like five or six important moments in that set of scenes... And at the same time, they imparted heaps of information about the fact that this group was now living on the road, about how they were operating, about how they were moving about, about the protections they were taking to make sure the group was safe. Mm. Not action-packed, but it still drove towards something. There was more information than just sitting all the characters down and getting them to monologue at each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, the difference between then and now is that then they had kind of reached the destination. They were Mm. at the prison. They had nowhere to go, exactly. What they needed to do was maintain a holding pattern to live. Yeah, but holding patterns aren't fun to watch. But that's why it wasn't fun to watch, because they were 
the whole point of the group in this show is, you know, we want safety. In the prison, they had safety. So they eventually had to introduce the flu or whatever it was and the governor to make things dangerous. Yeah. Because the prison on its own, which was very defensible with all of the systems they had in place to keep it safe, regular border patrols and fucking ganking walkers and that kind of thing, so they'd never build up enough to threaten the prison. Mm. That would be the end of the story in a lot of places. I don't think that what makes this show interesting or not interesting is necessarily just the level of peril that the characters are in. I think it's about whether or not the characters are acting dynamically. And when we were at the farm and when we were at the prison, they just weren't acting dynamically. I mean, the peril of waiting to see how many people a flu kills is not a scenario where a lot of characters get to actually do things and have a goal. Whereas Carol dragging two people out the back and setting fire to them, that is activity and that is interesting. When they're on the road, and I don't think that being on the road is the only way to do this, but when they're on the road, there is constant movement and direction and the need to be working at something, and for all people in the group to be part of the plan and part of what's happening. Are you saying that you think the show would have been better if they'd never gone to the prison? I think the show would have been different if they'd never gone to the prison. I think the show would have been better if they had found a way to give people at the prison stuff to do. Now, whether that's more of them being sent off on missions... If they'd found a way to make it less reactive, because once they were in the prison, once they were in the set place, mm. it was a very reactive show. Yeah. There was very little movement from their own group. Whereas, actually, the missions and the journeys are when this show is at its strongest. Fair enough. So what I was excited about this episode was that they managed to have both aspects. They managed to have, you know, a certain amount of action. That was nice when they went to the shop, although every time they go to a shop they have some sort of set scene, so that's great. It managed to have plenty of action, plenty of drive, plenty of new information happening mm. at the same time as having the character development, at the same time as letting the group dynamic settle down into something new. And I really liked it. They didn't, yeah. use, they didn't used to be able to pat their head and rub their stomach at the same time. Yeah, I still feel like that was pretty intrinsically linked to the fact that, again, they are homeless and don't have permanent safety and are having to work towards that in some way or other. Didn't you hear, Rick, though? There is no such thing as permanent safety. Well, until the governor came along, the prison was permanent safety for them. But there'll always be a governor, or there'll always be them busting up terminus. There is very much the message of this show is there is no permanent safety. Yeah. So is it better to find a place and be safe for a while, or is it better to be on the move? I think it's better to find a place and be safe for a while, and do what you can for a while. But the danger is letting that temporary safety Hmm. make you not ready for being on the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, the group was ready for being on the road. I mean, they had an escape plan. This part of the group was ready for being on the road. Heaps of people from the prison died. Yeah, but heaps of them were sick. They were unable to be ready for the road because they were all dying anyway. <laughs> all the same. The impression we got of a lot of the people at the prison wasn't that they were going to bust out and be fine. They had people who'd survived in Woodbury for the first part of all this and then in the we're prison... still having the barbecues part. and... Yeah, yeah, still having... Pretending life was totally fine. Yeah, yeah, it's 4th of July, so let's set off the fireworks. Mind you, I mean, if I had been in Woodbury, I probably would have been really tempted to try and keep life as similar as possible to how it used to be. The point of Woodbury was to display that that sort of comfort and self-delusion is exactly what will get you killed in this world. It's telling that no one from Woodbury has survived through with the group. Yeah. None of them. Yeah. And not all of them were burnt by Carol. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so I'm excited that the writers seem to have got the hang of doing several things at once. Yeah. I'm very excited about what it means for this season. 
I guess I'm excited about that too. You sound super excited. <laughs> Can't you tell this is my excited voice? Yes. Um, I suppose I think that after two episodes, I'm not quite ready to pass optimistic judgment yet. You won't join me in Bobland about the writing of the show? <laughs> I'll never join you in Bobland. <laughs> <laughs> you can bobbo out in Bobland all on your own, Kate. Fair enough. <laughs> well, it, looks but, like, it looks like Bob's not going to be there much longer, so it will be just me. No, it's true. <laughs> he won't be bobbing either. He'll be hopping. Bob's hopping about in Bobland. Oh, no. It's not that optimistic anymore, is it? I'll tell you what, if he's cheerful next episode, I've had it. Oh, before we get to the zombie killer of the week, you were dead right about the katana. She doesn't have a katana, so she definitely didn't break out of the prison with two spikes on the end of it. Well, you didn't think it was the katana, you thought it was the scabbard. I thought the katana was in it. Oh, I didn't think it was only the scabbard. I just thought it was, you know, the package, and that she put spikes on the end. Okay, I didn't realise that last week. I thought you were talking about just the scabbard. No. And, to be honest... I was thinking, why would you just carry the scabbard? No, no. no. <laughs> like, why would you have put the sword in the bag, which they buried, and kept the scabbard? Part of me was kind of going, okay, Kate, if you want to think that. <laughs> just didn't think it was worth pointing out how nonsensical that was. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very glad that you didn't think that. But then, of course, why would she attach spikes when she has a sword? I just thought she was doubling it up. <laughs> I thought she was making the ultimate slayer weapon. A pointy bit on every end. <laughs> okay, that's really weird. I can't believe you didn't, if you thought that she had her sword, you didn't at some point last week say, why didn't Michonne use her sword? <laughs> oh, I'm, I know what I'll do. I'll attach this much less effective sharpened wood at each end. You make a point. <laughs> And of course, they wouldn't have left her with her sword in the, no. yeah when she was captured. No, no, you were absolutely right. My <laughs> my theory regarding the katana case made no sense at all. <laughs> None. But now I sort of wonder why didn't they go back and dig up the bag? Was her katana in the bag? Yeah. Really? Well, when Rick told them what was in the bag, he told them the truth. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, and he said it's full of guns and a sword. No, he said a machete. Oh. Machete with a red handle. That's the one I'm going to kill you with. Oh. And clearly is the one he's going to kill him with. Like, yes. People love this Okay, shit. so where did she lose her katana then? I imagine they confiscated it oh. when they captured them. So oh, it, okay. it's burned in terminus. I want it to have it back. It's just Michonne. Michonne means a sword. And she's so good with it now. I think she'll get it back. Yeah. What I like is the idea <gasps> that Gareth has Gareth it. has it. Yeah. And Michonne reclaims it. Mm. And then Rick kills him with the machete with, with the red, red handle. handle. Yeah. And then it shall be an all red machete. <laughs> Rick will be like, this machete handle is stained with the blood of all the people who pissed me off. Who pissed me off today. That's right. One day, Rick could just be like, you know I've bitten the neck out of a man, right? <laughs> <laughs> he had me. I was this far away from death. And I bit his fucking neck out. Granddad, you always tell this story. <laughs> and then I killed his friends. And the last one, I slipped from ball sack to gullet. <laughs> now, night night, Judith! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, zombie kill of the week. I'm not sure if there was one that was that spectacular, necessarily. I no. mean, I think the only one which I think comes closest, and I don't even really think it was that close... Was the water zombie who came up out of the water to attack Bob. Oh, that was basically With a the skeleton. melty face. Yeah. And was it Sasha who banged it with the corner of a box? Mm-hmm. I guess that 
I don't think it was that impressive, though. Particularly because it was clearly a plastic box. And I was just like, it must be very oozy, the zombie, to be damaged well, by a plastic you box. You did mention they were well marinated. That's true. Alright, so another question about the show. What do you think about the dynamic they're setting up between Daryl and Carol? What we saw a couple of seasons ago was Carol slowly reconciling Daryl to being part of this group and to being felt worthy and for him letting go some of his own self-loathing. What we're seeing now is a reverse of that. The reverse being Carol being accepted or Carol having to let go of feelings of unwantedness. Yeah. I'm not sure if I would agree with you that that's now a dynamic. Really? Well... We've now seen two episodes of Daryl being very much about having her back and needing her to be okay with that. Yeah, I don't know. I think her issues are more to do with being in a group rather than this particular group. I think that Rick, having collapsed into her arms, saying thank you so much for saving all our lives, Mm. and then following it up by saying, please let us join you. Like, if that isn't acceptance... Are you saying that she's having a hard time accepting the acceptance? Yes. Which is what Daryl was having a couple of seasons ago. Okay. It wasn't like people were telling Daryl to rack off. It was that Daryl didn't know how to trust that these people wanted him. Why would Carol be having a problem with that now? Because she may have unresolved guilt about what's happened in the last season or two. And not just Mm. about the burning of the people, but about Lizzie. She may have a feeling that she's not worth being in this group. Yeah, I suppose Rick rejected her. But that was just Rick. It's not like the entire group. She would have known at the time that Rick was making her go. Not everyone. But then the next major thing that happens for her is killing Lizzie. Yeah. Well, the group doesn't know that yet, do they? No. They're going to And there was the conversation with her and Tyrese where he was saying, you know, they will accept it, it'll be okay. Yeah. And they're saying they won't have to. I wonder if what she's doing is just preempting having the whole situation happen again. She's saying, I'm not going to go through it again. Instead, I'm going to make the decision for the group and remove myself from this situation. You mean by leaving? Yeah. Maybe. I could see Carol being afraid that having been turned out for making the pragmatic decision before, being judged again on making the pragmatic decision. I mean, it was in very different circumstances the second time. There was only one other adult. Yeah. And they both agreed that this was the only reasonable course of action. Although Tyrese basically agreed through silence. That is agreement. Come it, on. Yeah, it is. But it's not exactly, you know, let's draw straws on who's going to do this. <laughs> I think if someone knows someone else is about to kill a child and does literally nothing to stop it in that circumstance, that's agreement. Oh, I do as well. But my point is that there is a difference between what Carol did, which was propose that it was necessary mm. and then get Tyrese to agree and then carry it out. And what Tyrese did, which was be horrified by it and then be silent about it and then let her carry it out. Those are two very different things. I don't mean that they're less culpable than each other. I mean that how active she was in killing the kid is far in excess of how active he was. Well, yeah, but I don't think that his actions carry any less weight because it was Carol who had the balls to do it. I don't either, but I think that in terms of the trauma you might carry afterwards... Hers could be a lot higher. Yeah, yeah, because she actually had to do it. Well, that makes sense. So when she comes back to the group, and when her and Tyrese eventually have to tell the group what happened, and someone says, who actually shot Lizzie? Hmm. Yeah, well, that's what I said. I mean, I could see that that would worry her, because it would be the second time. But the difference the second time is that there was one other adult around, and the other adult was fully aware of what was going on when it happened. That's true. That is not what happened with the, (laughs) the nasty coffee got there. (laughs) That was not what happened that time. No, I agree. 
And, you know, this is a child that had just murdered her sister. Don't get me wrong, I think that the decision they made is entirely defensible. Yeah. It was very sad, and it was very upsetting. It was certainly very upsetting to watch, but it was entirely defensible. But I can see why Carol might be afraid that the group wouldn't see it that way. And so I think if she's saying, well, I'm not going to go through the rejection again, it hurt too much the last time, Mm. instead, I am going to make the decision for them and remove myself from the situation. Yeah, but isn't that the mistake she made the first time? She made the decision for the group. In a sense, the mistake that she made the first time is now the one that she's repeating. I think she's wrong to decide to leave the group if that's what she's edging towards. Absolutely. Mm. But I don't think it's the same thing to decide something on your own that affects everyone and to decide something on your own that only affects you. The decision to stay with the group or not is hers. Yeah, but there's also, I mean, there's a third path. She might end up staying and still not telling them. Yes, that's true. That affects everyone, mm. in, a, in a lesser way, of course. Yeah. And, and in a sense, Tyrese will be in this boat as well, because if he doesn't yeah. tell the group, then he's guilty of it too. I wonder if, if he told the group what happened with the two little girls, mm. would he finally be taken off babysitter duty? <laughs> oh, it's fine. Tyrese can stay and watch Judith. No, no he can't. can't. Not until he fucking sorts his shit out. Tyrese could be such an asset if he sorted his shit out. Yes. You need to stop having feelings about stuff all the time. These feelings you have are very inconvenient. Stop having them. Or at least if you're going to have them, have them away from everywhere else in private. Can he please sort his shit out in a way where he's helping them kill all the walkers in the basement? Yeah, that's right. Why is he sorting his shit out by being left to sit with a one-year-old? It's not working. Potentially putting her in danger. Who do you think is the next main character who dies? Might still be Bob. He could be on the instalment plan. <laughs> as soon as I saw the big wide shot of him after they'd cut him, I just thought, how ironic. The alcoholic got legless. <laughs> I'm so glad that he's not... Well, he hasn't really been able to indulge. Yeah, and it doesn't look like he's getting many opportunities in the future. Because mm. that was just very annoying when it was going on. Eh. I got very, very... Really? I... We don't have time for this shit. The alcohol that we have, we fucking need. I also feel like, because they literally haven't mentioned it. No. I feel like the main reason he was an alcoholic was to explain some dumbass decisions so they could do some set pieces they wanted to do. Mm, They wanted to do the particular attack in the store. They wanted to do the particular attack at the hospital. Mm. And they needed a reason why things went to shit. And him being an alcoholic alcoholic was the reason they came up with. Mm. So it didn't feel integral to the character at all. We haven't missed it. No, and apparently he hasn't missed it. Mm. Having been such an alcoholic that he is willing to make some pretty fucking stupid decisions Mm. that would endanger his life, Mm. that alcoholic, Mm. he's now fine, apparently. Yeah. Now that there's no set pieces that require him doing it. Yes. Fucking stupid. Back to your original question. Which main character do I think is going to be the next to get it? It could be Bob. Yeah. Or perhaps it'll be Sasha. Looking for him. Yeah. I mean, Bob's got to be a contender at this stage. Well, yes. I mean, he is, you know... <laughs> He's a fifth of the way there already. <laughs> That's right. He's just a lot less able now. Yeah. Able to survive. He won't be able to get away now. Pull himself up by a tree and hop to safety. That's yeah, just yeah. not going to happen. Well, yeah, and, you know, Herschel's magic hoppity powers were fine in the prison. <laughs> Herschel's magic hoppity powers... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed that. 
fantastic. Herschel's magic hoppity powers. It's a kid's book I've been working on. It was alright for Herschel and his wooden leg in the prison where there was lots of concrete. And flat and surfaces. Flat surfaces. And, yeah. but on this, the run. this shit's not going to work in the woods. <laughs> no. I think now Bob has a limit on how much more can happen with him. Yeah. I mean, it may be that there's several episodes of him being a captive and them slowly eating him or whatever, but I don't see Bob being around next season as they head off in a new direction. No. No, I don't think so either. Having been the main believer, Bob's not going to Washington. (laughs) The idea that Sasha gets in danger looking for him is a pretty obvious one. Mm. Because, you know, you look at what Maggie did last season for Glenn. People are not sensible on this show. No. It's what makes them human. The idea that you would drop your pragmatism in order to save a member of the group, particularly the member of the group you were in love with. Yes, that's totally believable. That's what makes it work. Yes, no, it's moments like, everyone's together. There's no overriding danger, yet you still seem to have forgotten basic survival skills that you had down pat two episodes ago. Yeah. That's when it's not okay. Yeah. But they haven't been doing that. No, although, I mean, I I thought they were pretty rowdy in the church. There's a lot of light in that church and things like that. Yes. I suppose they had the shutters closed. I suppose so, and also all the light was down towards the ground, I felt, and the windows are quite high. Yeah, I guess so. But still, it was a rowdy church. There was a lot of cheering for Abraham's toast and things like that. Yeah, and, I mean, they were all drinking. Did they have a designated walker killer? (laughs) This one's equivalent of the designated driver. Yeah. (laughs) I hope so. If Beth was there, it would have been Beth. Because it turns out she can hold her liquor. (laughs) Mind you, if Beth was there, they would have finished the episode by burning the church down. <laughs> I like Beth. I don't know why you don't like Beth. I don't like her because she's too interested in Daryl. It's purely a you-don't-want-to-see-them-together thing. Yeah, I'd freely admit that. But that was because but I, I liked... was very pro-Daryl and Carol. Yes, which we all still are, surely. Well, in the range of available options for Daryl, yes. There is door number three where he just isn't with anyone, which is a perfectly acceptable thing for a yes. character to be. yes. I was not a fan of, of, Beth, is... being, of Beth being interested in Daryl. And I'm still not. I'm, I don't mm. want to see them together. So he's but super older than her. when they were on the run together, mm. I liked what their characters did for each other. I liked the dynamic between them. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean they should be together. No, no, no. But it doesn't mean I hate Beth either. I, each, I'm, each to their own. In the same way that you're worried about the fact that I'm not squeaked out by Long Pig... <laughs> I am concerned by the fact that you don't give a shit about Beth, or whether she's safe. I think my concern is a little more reasonable than yours. We will have people we don't care about. Yeah, but Beth's been around for ages, she's been good for the group. Yeah, I I don't know what there is to not like about her. Well, see, the more you question me on it, the more I want to dig my heels in. The more intransigent you become. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Because I feel the need to defend my position. Fair enough, fair enough. So, you know, the less you question me on it, the more likely it is that I may eventually come around. There will come an episode where everyone eats Beth and both of us will be happy. (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, that wraps it up for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, please send it to tppfeedback at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter as at tppfeedback, and you can find us on Facebook by doing a search for The People's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Unless it's cruel, then you can fuck right off. Bye! Fuckity bye! The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live.
Um, I want to see the whole hug again, Walking Dead. Ah, the Reservoir Dogs shot. Oh no. Awkward fist bump. I was really hoping we'd seen the last of the fist bump. <laughs> that was the correct way around, if you're asking how. Yeah, it was very gracious. Keeping guard in the dark would just be the worst thing. No. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. That's just terrifying. Clearly an alive person. Yeah, well, as opposed to a walker. Yeah. The world's sneakiest walker. It's terrifying. Wow. Oh. Lolo's beard face. Car shouldn't have shot a walker. Ah, it's not a priest. Kind of priest still wears his shit now. Well, I'm gonna go with one who's not entirely. <laughs> Have any food? We got some crumbs. Thank you. I ate the last of the pudding on earth. It's a beautiful child. <laughs> They're looking at him like he just said, Can I eat it? <laughs> I have a church. Hold your hands above your head. Correct response in all situations. Earlier. Did you imagine being in that group? We were like, are you for real? Oh. Getting a taste of the dictatorship. Tyree should stay here. I'll keep Judith safe. You're meaning to watch her. <laughs> no! I'm grateful for it. Oh, wow, your wishes come true. Oh, 